Let's go ahead and we'll dive in tonight. If you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and, and I'll pray and we'll get started. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for your word. And God, thank you for the example of Hannah. And Lord, as we look tonight at her affliction, her distress, um, really got even the bitterness that she experienced, but how she handled it that was right and the benefit that came from that. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to learn from this tonight. I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and lifted up. And I'm sure in a room this size, there are uh, different folks dealing with some uh, very uh, possible deep heartache or maybe some things that are coming up this year that we don't even know about yet. And so, Lord, please uh, help us to glean from your word and to set our eyes on you. Um, God, I ask for your help with this tonight. Please help me and please help the hearers. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in if you would look at verse number one, the scripture here says, Now, there was a certain man of Remathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, and the son of Jehoram, Je, Je, these guys, Jerohoam, the son of Elihu, and the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Hophni and uh, Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he came to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. He gave unto his wife to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her, her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat up on a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man child then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come up on his head, and it shall come to pass as and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way, and she did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. 
And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Now, we just got to read the end of the story, right? That at the end of the day, the Lord did remember her. And I know of, you know, I think Stacy and I think other of you ladies, you got to a point in your life where you prayed a prayer much like this. That, um, uh, And so let's go back to verse 1. We'll start there and, and work our way through this. So in verse number 1, God gives us the history of Elkanah, the background there. In verse number 2, the Bible says, and he had two wives. Now, in the scripture, God never condones that. He never goes out and tells anybody to do that. And we actually, God is actually very honest. And there are different times where God reveals the internal struggle that happens when these guys are disobedient and they go out and they have multiple wives. Uh, when you look at Abraham's situation and you look at those 12 sons that he had through four different wives, um, was there a little bit of envy and hatred among Joseph and his brothers? Yeah, so you see that these situations, they play out and there were natural consequences and friction with inside these families. And uh, this, in this case, it's no different. Um, and so God doesn't hide the fact or gloss over the fact of some of this internal struggle and strife because of Elkanah's decision. So here he has two wives and the name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was uh, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, we can know, and I've, I gave you the cross-reference there, Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So if you take and put yourself in Hannah's spot for a moment, God is setting this up. Do you see how it's already set up that she's in affliction, that her heart is burdened? That she's kind of the outcast, that maybe her other friends that they had, maybe other neighbors, that everybody's, you know, man, the families are growing, the, the, the people are having children, and she's just there, and it's, you know, she's there with her husband, but she has no children. And so in this society, when you look in the Old Testament, that was kind of a burden, that this was a negative thing. It was very natural for them to be, to, to have children as they were married. So in verse number three, the scripture here says, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. So it seems like he has a personal relationship with God. He's going up there to sacrifice. But notice kind of the circumstances behind this. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now, we don't have the time to go into that whole family, but you can read more about them in the Old Testament scriptures. And Eli was, uh, he was, he had a priest position but spiritually, um, he was very disconnected spiritually from God. And then Hophni and Phinehas, those guys went out and, and did horrible things. His sons uh, and God actually ends up uh, rebuking him later on there through that. But we're going to continue on in verse number four. The Bible says, And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. And so... When they went up yearly to worship, I want you to think about this. And tonight what we're talking about is Hannah's affliction. And she experiences some very deep, different emotions that we're going to talk through. But she handles it in a way that drives her to the Lord. And I want you to imagine you're Hannah. And you know that there's this date coming up on the calendar. That maybe you're really not looking forward to because you know it's the date when your husband's going to get portions for his other wife and all these other kids. And they're going to be the little Pinterest perfect family. 
they're going to have maybe matching outfits, you know. It's like you guys at Christmas, you see, you know, the mama bear, papa bear, and everybody's got their, you know, Christmas jammies, and they, you know, take their, and get their little photos, and they make it look so great for Instagram and Pinterest, and they've got everything perfectly laid out, and there's Hannah. And, and she doesn't have a son to buy a shirt for, that we're, hey, we're going to go up and worship the Lord. She doesn't have a daughter to go buy little shoes for, so they, she can put, you know, her in a cute little dress when they go up to worship the Lord. She has nothing. That would be bad enough, right? The fact that you don't have children, the fact that this day to worship the Lord is coming up and you don't have the, all the little ones to care for and the lunches to pack and all those things that a, you know, that a mother, um, had, would have a heart to do. And as if that's not bad enough, let's push pause there. Notice God's commentary on verse number five. Look at this. He says, but unto Hannah, he gave a worthy portion. So her husband, he, he did love her, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So that's God's commentary that her um, not having children at this point, it, it's a divine delay. This is of the Lord. And very easily, you know, Hannah could have gotten to the point where she thought, Lord, like why everybody else, but not me. Right? I mean, those are very natural uh, feelings to have in a situation like that when you see everybody else moving along in life and getting status or maybe getting a job or getting this or getting that. And you think, Lord, I, I, there's, not a huge un, there's not a huge covered sin in my life. I mean, I don't know why it's not working out for me. Right? But the Lord had done this. He had shut up her womb. In verse number 6, as if that's not bad enough, check this out. Verse 6 says, and her adversary... Also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord has shut up her womb. So this other woman in the situation, she was awful. And she was going to make sure Hannah knew about it every time. And so this date is coming off the calendar. They're getting ready to go worship the Lord. And I can only imagine the things that were said between these two. What we do know is this, and and I'm going to look at a couple of definitions here with you, a couple of words that the Lord gives us. Uh, Point number one tonight, we're going to look at, for for Hannah, her affliction, her adversary provoked her sore. Now, the word adversary, no, right away, we'll just give it away, right? Who, Who is our adversary? You can't hear the adversary without realizing that the Bible says Satan is our adversary, right? We'll get there in a moment, but an adversary is an enemy or a foe. What's interesting is the root word of this, our English word, uh, adversary, the root of that is adverse. And it's a Latin word and it means adversus. It's the opposite. It's, it's taking these two words, ad and versus. And that versus, it's a, it's a conjugation of verto to turn. So what it means is it's turned in contrary direction to. That's what an adversary is. Um, if I say, oh, this is an adverse situation, this is a situation not going in my favor, right? So if Chad and all the firefighter guys pull up to the water hydrant, yes, hydrant, and they go hooking up and they, you know, they go hook all their hoses up and then they turn the top of that thing, lefty, loosey, righty, tidy, what, and, and, and the water doesn't come out. That would be an adverse situation, one that's running contrary to you guys, right? Which is why you have water already on the truck to, to some extent, right? Oh, I'll never forget. Um, behind where I live, within the first year of me living there, uh, there, there, was a, there was a spark that caught 
a whole tree line on fire. And so they had to evacuate like our little area and neighborhood. That was not fun. I was very thankful for firefighters that day. And so I got back to uh, my place and the, the, they had the, the ladder out extended kind of one guy was like almost doing like overwatch, you know, to help. Uh, they were flying planes and stuff in there too, helicopters. That was, it was a, a, quite an ordeal. So I'm thankful for the firefighters. Amen. Amen. All right. Here, this adversary, it is someone that is turned, is acting in contrary direction. The first mention of an adversary is God telling his people in Exodus, but if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thine adversaries. And so God there, um, again, that's the first mention of it, God dealing with the security and safety of his own people. And he says that he will become an adversary to those that go against them. Now, 1 Peter 5, 8, we're very familiar with this as New Testament Christians, right? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is not for you. I remember being in junior high and I had a friend that um, we were talking on the bus one day and he thought it was going to be really cool to go to hell so he could party and be there with the devil. And when you study in the scriptures, that's not how that's going to be. And Satan is his adversary and wants nothing more than to destroy him. And what's interesting is when you begin to talk about the devil, you know, the Bible in Jude says that even Michael, the archangel, when contending with him about the body of Moses, the Bible says that Michael the archangel durst not bring against Satan a railing accusation. But he said, the Lord rebuke thee. Why? Because, man, those, those angels, they are incredibly powerful. I mean, I, you know, Satan's more powerful than me. He's smarter than me. All of that. But he's not greater than God. And the Bible at the end of the day says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so what I need to do is walk by faith in God's word, stick to what he says, live it out, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to empower me to, to make right decisions and do the right thing. And just God will take care of Satan. He's going to rebuke him. But here, Hannah had an adversary. He had an adversary. You and I have an adversary that provoked her. Now, this word, our English word provoke, it's real interesting. It means to call into action. Now, Really, the only time the word provoke in the Bible is good that I can think of or used in a positive way off the top of my head is we are supposed to provoke one another to love and to good works, right? And we're supposed to provoke one another to being faithful to the local church there in in Hebrews. Well, here, provoking means to call into action, to make angry, to offend, to incense, or to enrage, and again, it has a Latin root. It's these two words, pro and vaco. So you think of like your vocal cords, you know, speaking. And it means to call forth or to call. It makes me think of, uh, you know, like those MMA fighters when they go up and they stand and they just, it's the weirdest thing in the world that they get that close to another. I'm just not getting that close to another man's face. It's really weird. But the MMA guy, well, I'm not going to tell them that because they could all whoop me too, right? But the, when those MMA guys get up and they're in each other's face and then they start saying stuff to each other and, then they go home, and then they call each other out on social media, right? We say they, they call them out. Um, I just saw where one of the Cincinnati Bengal guys, I can't remember who it was, so I won't say his name, but uh, he just called out Patrick Mahomes for something. And, you know, these guys start jawing in the offseason. They're like, Mahomes who? And I'm like, well, Mahomes the guy that beats you, so let's try to just go do your workout, and let's go beat him next year, you know? 
But what do these guys do? In the off-season, they kind of start talking and jawing at each other and calling each other out. What are they doing? They're provoking. They're provoking one another. And again, I'm not going to speculate or, or say things that might have been said to Hannah, but, but you and I can only imagine the awful things that Panina said to Hannah to berate her, to, to lower her dignity, and, and to really provoke her, the Bible says. It was so bad that God says he, she provoked her sore. And that word sore, it, it means with painful violence. It's intensely, severely, grievously. Like, I imagine that she yelled her face off. It, it was awful. And so what was the result? What did Hannah have to deal with? Well, in verse number eight, um, and this is interesting, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? So see, she's experiencing like a loss of appetite. She's grieved. And then, you know, he's trying to help. He, he's trying to fix it, right? And he says, I'm not I better to thee than ten sons. <sighs> nice try, dude. And I kid you not, like, I read that and I'm like, what kind of guy says that? Like, you shouldn't have said that. And I'm like, every guy in here has said something like that, right? Like, how we all just kind of said something where you're like, mm, probably not the right time, too soon. <laughs> that didn't help. I know, I know you want to fix this situation, but no, you're really not better than 10 cents. <laughs> he tried. He tried his best. Fell a little short. Verse 9, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli, the priest, sat up on a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. So on your handout, I think we've, have I missed any up to D? The result was that she wept. She did not eat. She was grieved. Letter E, her husband couldn't alleviate the pain. And there may be times in life where you experience grief and affliction and a situation that no one can fix but God. And it may be a situation where it really doesn't like technically like get fixed. It's just God gets you through it. He brings you through to the other side. God never fixed Joseph and put him back in his family back where they were. What happened? He got him through it a day at a time until ultimately his brothers were standing before him in Egypt and he's where he's at. You see, God got him through that. He didn't fix it per se. Um, now he, but he did all that and meant it unto good to save much people alive and to save the nation of Israel. So he had a greater um, circumstance and a greater work that he was working in mind than just putting him back into his family where they were. Okay. Um, so then number two, let's look at how her affliction drove her to the Lord. In verse number, I think I have verse number six next in the handout, and that's not right. So uh, let's look at verse number 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So again, do you see how deep this hurt is? And bitterness is very dangerous. When you look at bitterness in the Bible, the Bible says uh, through bitterness, um, thereby springing up many be defiled. And really, bitterness is going to do one of two things. It's either going to completely defile you and everybody around you, or it's going to drive you to the Lord. And so here, it, she's in the bitterness of soul. She's experiencing that and praising to the Lord. She's weeping. And in verse number 11, she vows a vow and says, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, remember me and not forget, but will give 
unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, in the Old Testament, these vows were, they were supposed to be taken very seriously. And they should be today, too. Um, but in the Old Testament specifically, Deuteronomy 23, God says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay for it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. So God's like, you start making promises, you had better keep them. Because that, in, 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 according to the Old Testament law, if they, you started making vows and then you didn't keep them, that was made, you were sinning. And so he said, it, better, it would be better for you if you're not going to perform the vow to just be quiet and not make it. Okay? And so this is a very serious thing. And, and Hannah is very serious as she makes this vow to the Lord. Uh, again, our example, or the scripture in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 there says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. And so when you look back at verse number 15, uh, Hannah has prayed. Eli sees her moving her lips, but he doesn't hear anything coming out. She, he thinks she's drunken. He goes over to her and speaks to her. And in verse number 15, listen to how Hannah describes her situation. She says, and Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. And if you get nothing else, I hope you will just remember this line tonight. She has an adversary. She's being provoked. There's this day on the calendar that comes up every year that she she hates because it's such a struggle. She wants to go worship the Lord, but there's this family situation that's awful, and she's in bitterness. She's sorrowful. She's lost her appetite, and she takes all of that and calls no one. It, it doesn't really seem to indicate here that she went and just talked to her neighbor about it or her best friend. She didn't get on the phone and say, oh, well, you won't believe what she said to me this time. And uh, it, all indications are she took, if you could imagine me holding just a huge pitcher full of water, and she just took all of that that was bottled up in there and just poured it out to one person, and it was the Lord God Almighty. And she didn't just give God some of it. She just poured it out before him. She, she said everything that she was thinking, just the hurt, the pain, the, the frustration, the I don't understand why this is working out for them, but not for me. And she just gave it to the Lord. That is the best person she could have ever given it to. And your struggle, your situation, your bitterness your, it's not working out. These people are driving me nuts. And whatever that is, the best person in the universe you can give that to is an infinite God who already knows the intricate details of everything you're thinking, the other person's thinking, everybody that's involved, what's going to come, what's happened in the past. You've got to give that to God or you will go crazy. And she poured it out before the Lord. Verse number 16, Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, 
for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Um, I think it was back in the fall, I um, got to talk to Pastor Jim on the phone, and he encouraged me to listen to one of the, uh, the messages he had just preached in, out of Psalm, and it was the one where I mourned in my complaint. And I, I was going through um, a situation I wasn't actually sure how it was going to work out. And listening to that message, I'm like, oh, this really ain't going to work out the way that I thought it would. And it was back in the fall. But I remember, like, yeah, God ever kind of leads you with direction. You're like, I, that's not really the answer that I wanted. <laughs> but that's probably the answer that's coming, depending, because that's the, what the Lord's bringing up in the message that day. And it is kind of how it worked out. Um, but I saw that it was okay to take, I mean, you're, if you you got the, you have the complaint anyway, might as well tell him. Just be honest about it, right? God's very big. He can handle the complaints and the frustrations and the griefs. But again, her bitterness didn't drive her to be defiling. It drove her to the, her savior. Um, God's arms are very, very capable of holding up people that are hurt, afflicted, struggling. Um, and I just love it. Uh, I, I, I can't think of the verse right now other than um, the Bible talks about how God is able to to uphold those that are his. Um, God's able to make you stand. He can help you. And Paul found out when he prayed and asked the Lord to remove his thorn in his flesh three times, Paul found out very well, sometimes God doesn't remove the thorn, but he gives you the grace that's sufficient to see you through it. So, for Hannah, that's what she experienced. But let's look at this real quick. If you would, go to Psalm 37. Let's go to Psalm 37 and we'll wrap up. You know, the Bible says there in Hannah that she, uh, it made her, her adversary provoked her and it made her to fret. And you may have something in your life or a situation or maybe a situation that comes up here in the near future that causes you to fret. And when you and I, when we're tempted to fret, this is what we ought to remember, okay? Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. So the first thing to remember about fretting is don't do it. Stop. Remember the, uh, I, I can't think of the man's name in this skit, but uh, the lady comes in. She's like, I'm so afraid of being buried alive in a box. He's like, well, stop thinking about that. Stop it. She's like, oh, I can't. Stop. What about when I'm tempted to fret? Well, stop. Fret, it's actually interesting. It means to rub or to wear away a substance by friction, to corrode, to gnaw, to just scrape. It's like you just keep, it just keep gnawing at you. And that's where you've got to give those things to the Lord. So fret not. Well, in this passage, he says, verse number two, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither is the green herb. See, there's a truth that if you're mindful of, it'll help you to not fret because you remember that evildoers end, right? Um, so fret not thyself. Don't let that rub against you. Don't let it agitate you. Verse number two, or verse number three, trust in the Lord. And then I love here, here he goes, comma, and do good. You know, I think sometimes in situations we think, okay, I'm just going to trust God. And then somehow it's like, trust God by twiddling your thumbs, Well, no, trust God and do good. That means you keep making right decisions through that circumstance that you're in that it's not really working out the way that you want it to, and it's not really changing, but there are are always steps that you can take. There are always right decisions that you can continue to make 
until God gives you more light down the road as to how this is going to pan out. Okay, so trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. And that's an amazing Old Testament promise from God to the nation of Israel if they would have just trusted him. Verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. This verse number four, that's a reflexive pronoun. What do I mean by that? In German, it's really funny. Um, I love learning other languages because when you transliterate them and say what they say word for word, it always sounds kind of funny, right? So the Germans, they don't say, I shave my face. They say, ich rasiere mich mein Gesicht. And what that means is, I shave, I shave me myself my face. I'm like, how many more mice do you have to put in that sentence? Like, I get it, man. Okay, okay, you're the one shaving your face, you know? In this passage... No matter how, when you look at Hannah's life, no matter how, how everybody else acted, she had a choice to make for her life that impacted ultimately Samuel, right? And so, again, the circumstances that you're dealing with, the people that you're dealing with, at some point, sometimes you just got to stop worrying about them. You don't have that much bandwidth. So you delight yourself in the Lord, and then he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight thyself in the Lord. So when you're tempted to fret, man, just delight yourself in God. Spend time with him. Um, open his word, read it, and just let him speak to your heart. And then number five, commit thy way into the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. So commit thy way into the Lord. Uh, commit means, I love this, it means to send to or upon, to throw, <laughs> put or lay upon, to give in trust. Uh, here's a hard one for all you control freaks to put into the hands or power of another. Some of you are struggling because, uh, Hey, that's because you need to put this into the hands of God and let him deal with it. Okay. And again, I'm sure there are probably steps you can take decisions that you can make to keep uh, doing what you're supposed to do. But sometimes you find yourself in a situation that you're so frazzled because you're trying to control it. You need to commit that to the Lord. Let him care for that. Then rest. Oh goodness. How many of you need rest this summer? Rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We're going to continue to go through this. We're going to wrap up letter F fret not. Do you have a parenthesis there that I give you a parenthesis, right? Cause you ain't got it yet. You know how many times God says fret not? He actually says it three times. Use the word fret not here three times. Why? Cause you didn't hear it the first time. Because the first time you heard it, you started thinking of all the reasons why you well, you have to fret. So later on, he says, listen, fret not. And then letter G, and this is really important. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not in any wise to do evil. And I'm just going to give you a cross-reference, and then I'm going to encourage you to read it on your own. Romans 12. Or did I put it on the handout? Is it there, Romans 12? Romans 12, 17 to 21. In that passage, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I I will repay. And I thought, this is so interesting because who, who does the tithe belong to? God, right? It's his. So if you take and you take the tithe, who are you stealing it from? God, okay? The Bible says vengeance belongs to God. So if you start taking vengeance, you know who you're stealing it from? 
God. Don't, don't go stealing stuff from the Lord. Because it will internally, it will mess you up. I've said it's just when people get bitter and, and they feel like they've got to lash back, this is the way the Bible says it. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And you start trying to take wrath and vengeance out and work this out against somebody else how you think it should be, you'll destroy yourself. The way to not destroy yourself, overcome evil with good. Just do make right decisions. Delight yourself in the God and follow him. And that's what Hannah did. And look at how it looked at, look at how it worked out for her. Now there were years. The Bible says they went up year after year. So there were some years involved there. But God worked that out in such a beautiful way. And he'll do that in your situation too, just not on your timetable, right? And so we have a great savior. Commit those things to him. Fret not, rest. Really enjoy rest this summer. But you have to trust God and commit stuff to him to do that, right? Amen. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for, um, I'm thankful that we can read about Hannah tonight. And we're not reading about somebody that got bitter and destroyed their lives.